hi everybody another episode yeah today sorry i apologize for that today i interviewed a hypnotherapist yeah pretty wacky i interviewed a hypnotherapist her name is meredith mccarthy and she runs a practice out of wellington and she specializes in like clinical hypnotherapy and I'm always kind of just fascinated with, I don't know, things with the human mind. And I think there's a lot of, I wouldn't say misconceptions, but a lot of ideas that we have about hypnosis and hypnotherapy and how it works, what it can be used for. And I kind of wanted to delve a tiny bit deeper into that with uh, this conversation which is exactly what I did. I came, I saw, I conquered, let's go. Now, as far as stuff that I'm doing, I have a tour. I have a tour coming up, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna be going uh, to Auckland on the 18th of February for the Fringe Festival, 18th, 19th, and 20th. Listen, there's a whole load of dates all across New Zealand, in the South Island and the North Island. They're kinda everywhere. They'll be in the show notes, so check that out. There's a tour page there. Come see me do stand-up comedy. I'm hilarious. Apart from that, enjoy the podcast. All right, cool. We're live. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Nice. Now, uh, first question, just introduce yourself. Who are you and, uh, and what do you do? Right. Um, my name's Meredith McCarthy. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. I also teach meditation. Um, I have trained to be a yoga instructor. Um, I enjoy inspiring people and helping them through their blocks and fears and phobias. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of yoga, even though it's not what we're going to talk about today. But <laughs> I'm a well, it's huge like the fan. yoga mind, right? Big time. So hypnotherapy is the ultimate yogic practice. Is that right? Because you have to be very mindful about how you are talking, the kind of suggestions, the story that you're holding. I went and, um, yeah, I totally agree. I went to one of those, I, I think about just trying to get yourself in like a very sedated space mm. is what I try and get to when I'm doing yoga and same with like meditation. I went to um, one of those sensory deprivation tanks. Oh yeah. Have you been in those? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. The one like literally just down the road from over here. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, I guess, is that a similar state to what you try and get people to exactly. when you are doing hypnotherapy? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So your brain waves slow down into a more open, suggestible state of being. So you are in your flow state. Mm. Um, the theta waves, alpha, theta, delta. Yeah. I'm, so you're in break theta. Break that down for me because I've got no idea. Well, in our normal awake state, we're very critical. Mm -hmm. and um, our brain is working differently when we're in our critical space. When we're in our creative space or our flow space, our brain starts to work differently and the binaural beats per minute slow down and you can actually see the alpha and theta waves coming in. If you've got a, a monitor on your brain, you can mm -hmm. actually see the difference. Mm. And what are some of the, and the techniques, I guess, are just calming yourself down because like as a comedian i would love to know how to get like more into those creative states right a good way is being present mm -hmm. simply just being here rather than being racing off into your own thoughts about the past or the future or that sort of thing just being grounded and being in the moment is actually a big part of that practice right mm -hmm. okay and so I think one of like the the biggest questions that i hear because you are a, a hypnotherapist yeah. clinical hypnotherapist mm -hmm. 
first thing I think when I hear that is magician with a watch <laughs> waving it in front of me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I guess does hypnotherapy does hypnotherapy actually work? And that's actually probably too broad of a question. Yeah. What does hypnotherapy work for? Let's get back to the watch for a moment. Mesmer. Mm -hmm mesmerism this was where um look into my eyes you keep you're talking getting, i'm just gonna try and you're getting sleepy eye. that kind of thing uh -huh. that's from the mesmerism side of of history that's before it was um called hypnotherapy mm -hmm. so it was called mesmerism uh strange isn't it yeah 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 uh so when we think about emile Couet, um he was a pharmacist a french pharmacist and he understood the power of suggestion he would give sugar pills to people and go, every day in every way, you're going to feel better and better. And uh, he noticed that how powerful those were in comparison to the normal medication. They were just as powerful. So there's a lot in the way of a hypnotherapist and, and the idea of putting someone into hypnosis. So the mesmerism is a very, I've got power over you. The, mm -hmm. the Emile Kue is more of that, understanding the power of suggestion and that the power of suggestion is also about how we tell our own story mm. so if you say i'm going to be relaxed and calm you're more likely to be relaxed and calm if you say i hope i'm not going to get stressed and and worried then you're more likely to be stressed and worried because mm -hmm. you've pointed your mind into what you don't want rather than focusing on what you desire right so hypnosis actually happens instantly all the time within our given day so we go into daydreamy like states where we're focused or fixated on something for a period of time and we have a process going on where we make decisions so that's actually your own self-hypnosis and so what you guys are doing as a hypnotherapist is you're trying to put somebody in that state and then use the power of suggestion correct to then alter people's ways of thought so everyone goes naturally into hypnosis mm -hmm. i'm just guiding them right yeah so i'm not putting them under so that that kind of means that i've got control over them in some way mm -hmm. um i can through the art of suggestion probably control a lot of people but yeah in a therapy sort of session it's different you want to really be focused on empowering them to empower themselves is that kind of like it sounds like what you're talking about is uh, like TM, tran Transcendental Meditation. Similar. Similar. In a, with Transcendental Meditation, it is the individual putting themselves in that state and then actively putting those thoughts into their own mind as well. Yeah. Would you say it's different in that instead of the individual doing it, is you putting those? So when I'm talking to a client, I'm looking for the treasure. I'm looking for their golden nuggets of things they want or desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are opposite to their status quo at the current time. Let's say they have a fear of heights. Mm -hmm. uh, their story about the fear of heights is going to be reinforced accidentally when they start to think about what's coming ahead and start to imagine how they're going to be, but it's not always positive. Right. Right. So their mind starts to get out of control and it starts to compound a negative suggestion. Mm -hmm. What I need to do is interrupt that and help them to interrupt that. Say, okay, you had been doing that. What's the future though? What do you want? So as I'm interviewing, as, as I'm looking and talking to that person, 
I'm inviting them to think about putting things in past tense mm -hmm. and starting to future pace, start to get them to imagine success in their mind, mm. what that looks like, sounds like, feels like. So that's a big part of the process. So a lot of the magic actually happens before they formally get hypnotized. Right. Because when we go into a very thoughtful conversation, you're naturally going into a hypnotic uh, state where you're focused for a period of time on a specific, specific thing. Mm -hmm. And then you're more open to suggestion, of course, because you're, you're processing. Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. And it sounds like, um, it sounds like anybody can get into that state. So does hypnotherapy work on everybody? Everyone has the ability to enter into that hypnotic mind. However, some people might be very, very medicated. Uh -huh. So it stops their ability to imagine. So antipsychotic drugs and other things that could interfere with someone potentially um, working sure. with that hypnotic sort of session. Uh, there are some people who are super, super paranoid and stressed and unless you've got that rapport that trust a connection with that person they're just going to stop you <laughs> yeah um from working with them so there there are going to be some personalities that potentially are a little bit harder to work with than others do you have to be like i guess obviously you have to be willing to submit yourself to being able to just you know calm down and relax and get yeah. into that position but i was always under the impression that like you know, if you come into it with a bit of skepticism, like mm. I don't think hypnotherapy actually works. You'd be surprised. Is that right? Yeah. I think if you trust the person that you're working with, mm -hmm. something happens and your ego and your fears park and your creative, curious part, like that four-year-old self or that three-year-old self comes out and plays. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, a big part of, I guess, the, the therapeutic journey. They've come in, they're invested and wanting to change so they're very curious mm. even if they might be a bit skeptical um, as the process unfolds they start to see how they are shifting somehow they might not understand always how they've shifted mm -hmm. but that's not as important as the shift itself and it obviously it varies from case to case right but like what uh let, let's let's What's the typical type of person that you're seeing when it comes to like hypnotherapy? Is it usually like I'm feeling somewhat lost in my life or I'm dealing with serious trauma related to this incident? Is it a bit of everything and anything? <laughs> yeah, it's very varied. Uh -huh. um, but most of it is stress and anxiety related mm -hmm. because most uncomfortable positions emotionally have stress and anxiety laced into it, which right. causes them to action to change it. Mm. So I call it positive stress, actually, because it's got them motivated enough to cause them to want to change. Which is huge, because I think that's the whole point of having anxiety in the first place, is it's like, I'm anxious about the situation, let me try and change it. Yeah. Yeah, of course, it comes to unmanageable levels and stuff like that. Mm. But um, so you're saying it's typically with just, is it low level anxiety, low level stress? Oh, no. Um, sometimes people really like they've had panic attacks and they've been in hospital because they thought they're having a heart attack and yeah, yeah. they've been picked up by the police on the side of the road because they've just lost the plot. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm getting some extreme people coming in that um, are really suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what, how, it, hypnotherapy is, is a qualified medical profession, correct? 
Okay, so anyone can put up their shingle and say they're a hypnotherapist. Sure. Um, but I did do training. It's not psychology. So a lot of people think I've been to university or um, Welltech or whatever. It's a private school usually you go to. Uh, so I had been a trainer for the last eight years mm -hmm. um, for the New Zealand School of Professional Hypnotherapists. And that was fun to pass on the mantle. But that's over a year of training. Um, they have reading and assignments and one-on-one um, -on -one, um with each other in a classroom situation once a month in mm. the weekend so that i'm the facilitator or was i just i just finished last year oh cool so just just finished are you ha happy to be done doing, yeah, doing some yeah. new stuff i think eight eight years is good and yeah, i'm ready for something uh, a little bit more to challenge myself on and that does steal time away from me and, sure. and doing my own retreats and and wellness workshops and other stuff that i yeah, want yeah. to get on with yeah huge and so so, so there's definitely qualifications behind it. How is it looked upon by the medical profession? <laughs> Starting to change. Yeah. So look, I've been doing this, what, 27 years. Mm -hmm. And when I first started, it was hard going. One, I was really young. Mm -hmm. uh, and the world has changed. And I think because of the internet, because of different uh, scientific um, studies and other things, it's really brought the the light into the hypnotic mind and how powerful that could be as a therapeutic um, tool in mm. the toolkit. And a lot of times we're getting results for um, different disorders in one to three sessions where a traditional psychotherapist um, might be seeing that person for one or two years. Yeah. And the doctors are noticing it because their, their patients are coming in going, hey, I, I got this done and I feel amazing. Or they might refer on to me and then they're getting results. So they're going, wow, I'll keep on referring my, my, client, my patients to Meredith. Sure. And I guess that's the first sign of a changing nature in the field is that you're actually getting referred yeah. clients from medical professionals but you're saying it so before do you think it was hard going yeah people yeah. kind of looked at it as like voodoo like, like they magic they just didn't or? understand it i think they there was a lot of fear involved mm. you know things that people don't understand they fear and i think science has helped us to understand more about how the mind works and how it learns and the neuroplasticity you know yes. the, the way we can rewire our brain and hypnotherapy is like the perfect tool for that uh-huh yeah was well, interesting that you say neuroplasticity because I had a gentleman on uh, called Nathan Wallace, who's mm. a neuroscientist, mm. and he's a speaker for like early child, uh, early childhood development, and he talks so much about how malleable the human brain is, mm. and I even think about this in the context of as a comedian, like self-deprecating humor. Mm. where it can be funny and it's like, oh, don't take yourself too seriously. But you also play into the notion of like, I'm somewhat talking crap about myself, even if in a joking way. And I'm sure that subconsciously reinforces certain images or ideas about myself. The brain has this ability to compartmentalize our storylines. So we can play different characters in different scenes. Mm -hmm. So you aren't the same person with all of your friends right? Mm -hmm. You play a different role with different people because they'll unlock an, an aspect of yourself. Mm. So when you're up on stage, you're doing that too. You're, you're putting a character on. It's like a good, um, not just comedians, but actors as well. They have the ability to 
transcend their own personality for a moment and mm -hmm. hop into a pseudo personality, if you like, or maybe it is a part of them that they get permission to express. That can be a nice release. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you are different people according to who you're around. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like I am definitely different in this context and different other, in other situations. It's like an ideal state for someone to be though, is to have like a solid, consistent line where they are consistently the person that they feel. Well, what's, what's your thoughts on that? They're being like, what, what's your thoughts on their, the true self? Mm. Like what actually does that look I like? I don't know whether all humans can interface being their true self with all people. Mm -hmm. I think the reason why we have the ability to be a bit of a chameleon is because it suits our read on the situation. So we will adapt accordingly. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. If you keep on, let's say I, I'm talking to someone in my highest self sort of space, but they're not ready for that. That could be quite mind-blowing and very challenging for them, for me to just kind of come up with concepts or um, things that their brain has not entered into. Mm -hmm. And they're going, woo, and they get scared. Why would you do that? You'd have to adapt. Mm. You adapt how you tell your story. So you might dull it down a little. Yeah. Because that person can only hear it at that level. Yeah, or you yeah. dial it up a little bit more because the person can hear you at just that other frequency, frequency of understanding, you know? Yeah, I, I totally get you. I, but at the same time, we do idolize people who are like uncompromising in terms of who they are, right? I think that that means that followers happen, right? Sure. So you might get someone who's written a book or done some amazing work and they've been known to be that person. Then you're going to get the crowd of what we call fans. Uh-huh which is great, but they're equally be critics. There'll be those people that they just can't interface with. Yeah. Uh, so what I like when I'm doing my retreats, for example, and I'm teaching meditation, it's not really about religion. It's about a practice and an understanding of how you can use meditation or your mind in a really useful way. And I end up attracting people who would never go to a Buddhist monastery or mm. never go to um, a religious organization to learn that sort of thing. But they'll come to me because I'm what we call neutral. Mm -hmm. Yet I have a deep understanding of the spiritual and religious connotations to it. But I don't necessarily have to share all of that because that's not necessary for that particular person sitting in front of me. Right. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. What religion do you think gets it closest to being in an ideal mindset? You know, or Buddhism. Buddhism? I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, take away the dogma <laughs> or the mm -hmm. ceremonial aspect of it. And we get back to... Um, general understandings and the general practice of meditation and so on, you see time and time again, the Buddhist monks have got something there. Uh, they're, they're able to measure what's going on in a Buddhist monk's brain when they enter into meditation. You can see they, they function differently. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you learn that, right? Mm. And the things that they kind of bring out that are the most, is just most valuable, I guess, are sense of self-act, like self-awareness. Uh, compassion. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's harnessed through meditation. Yeah. And then you take aspects of that into hypnotherapy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess some of the reservations people would have is like the religious dogma around certain things, right? And the Definitely. cultural differences. Definitely. And yeah. so you're saying you act as kind of like a, a mediator between those two. So you take the 
purely not necessarily scientific, but like the aspects that uh, you know meditation, for example, and remove any kind of uh, not ritual but religious ritual around mm-hmm. it, and then give it to people. Do you see people translating uh, from what you do? giving them that and then actually going into like the religious side of things. So it's like, okay, yeah, meditation was great. I'm going to get into Buddhism because I know that they show a lot or they practice. I couldn't tell you because I'm not interviewing everyone after they leave my presence. Uh Um, So I wouldn't know. But I do know that people have been curious about Buddhism but haven't gone fully into it and they might use a retreat that I've done as a stepping stone. Yeah. Because they're a little bit curious, but they're not fully ready to turn up um, to a place that they're really unfamiliar with. To do the leap. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I get it. And that's wild. Yeah. What, um, what, so you were saying like the most common issues people use hypnotherapy is for anxiety Mm. and, 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 and I guess stress in general. Um, I've heard of, of people using cases like hypnotherapy and not necessarily hypnotherapy, but I guess hypnosis to manage physical pain as well yeah like mind over matter Hmm. can you induce that as a hypnotherapist or is that something that somebody has to practice themselves and how long does that take to get there okay uh so somnambulism is the word that you are using as a deep state of a hypnotic mind's ability to disconnect the pain receptors from the brain from that part of the body so yes, uh, most people can learn to do that. Uh, some people are going to be better at that than others, mm-hmm. potentially. Uh, but lots of people have had full um, operations on their teeth, like the, getting the wisdom teeth out under hypnosis, no general anesthetic or analgesia or anything, um, just using the mind. Right, uh-huh. and you can see that on YouTube and, and other places. But other people have been allergic to drugs, um, so they've had to use the mind and uh, hypnosis. There've been a lot of uh, big major operations using hypnosis. So in World War Two, in the battlefield, um, they ran out of the, the anesthetic or the the gas. And so they just kept on pretending they were giving it to the soldiers and it was working. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then, of course, uh, modern anesthetics came in after uh-huh. that and it sort of took over. But we could have gone down the hypnotherapy route yeah. instead of the pharmaceutical route. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I give what was money in pharma- pharmaceuticals, right? And then, like, <laughs> <laughs> therapy, there's not. Yeah. Is that, um, have you ever done that? Administered, like, hypnotherapy to somebody who's about to go into surgery? Myself, no, that's not something that I've attracted strangely, but I have had people who wanted to have help with minor things like uh, getting a full tattoo, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you've <laughs> done that for, for somebody? That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it work? Um, yeah, as far as I What did the tattoo look like? You could hypnotize I them to get a different tattoo. I don't and remember listen, now. It can help you too... with the pain, but the design yeah. ain't going to change. But um, people come to me for um, childbirth to help with that, mm-hmm. and that has been really nice, actually. Quite, yeah. quite lovely to be able to do that in that part of their lives. Um, but yeah, Brenda Sheen, a, a colleague of mine, she's done a lot of uh, work around pain and, and pain management. So different people specialize in different things. And I think what happens is I get maybe um, 
known in this field rather than that field and then that's the the cohort of people that I end up seeing Mm. which aren't always coming to me for pain specifically is it splitting because I'm not going to ask you to define every single field of hypnotherapy Mm. are there more ones are there new ones that are coming about as of late or because I mean we can just say we can break it down into even smaller forms like physical pain and Mm. then it's like pain with the hand pain with the foot Mm. Are there new fields that are opening up within the field of therapy as a whole? To be fair, the core toolkit is not going to change much. Mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised because there are core understandings that as a hypnotherapist across the board, you should be able to deal with anything that comes through your, your door. Right. Um, is that possible? Though? Yeah. Really? Mm. Okay. The toolkit is understanding the, the art of suggestion and the art of the journey with the client and changing their state. So you're going from an undesired state to a desired state. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, then you can change anything because everything's just a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the most significant thing you've changed for somebody? It's hard to say. Yeah. It's subjective because I'm not in their body and I'm not in their their um world so Mm. it's hard for me to say whether that's significant or not according to me you know so you were were saying that like everything's based on an underlying suggestion therapy right Mm. so what's the difference between suggestion therapy and like analysis therapy psychoanalysis was of course birthed by freud Mm -hmm. interesting (laughs) um and it really does have a lot to do with one another because as a hypnotherapist, if we're doing regression, we might ask the subconscious to go back to that first time they recall feeling that way mm-hmm. or having that thought, right? So that's psychoanalysis. So you're going in to understand the birth of that particular thing, that right. program. Yeah. And then you use suggestion therapy on top of that. It's, yeah. I get you. So you're, yeah, well, then I guess analysis therapy is mainstream therapy right or or psychology yes yeah okay so we're definitely doing that but we're not just i call it masturbating the misery (laughs) sure (laughs) we're not just going over and over the same old thing Mm -hmm. uh it helps us to resolve that trauma rather than just sit with it and Mm -hmm. understand it more and more and more is that kind of an older school school i think so i i think there was a lot of curiosity in, in why does someone exhibit the thing that they're exhibiting. And I think that that gets a little bit gruesome after a while where you're just not helping that person move mm-hmm. forward. You're just re-victimizing them. Yeah. That's yeah. not good. Yeah. that's uh, I, There's a weird like sense of pleasure I think people can get by over... Like, you know, you get in an argument with your friend mm-hmm. and you just relive the argument over and over and over and yep. over again. There's a weird sense of comfort that comes in, even though it pisses you off, you just keep doing it and keep doing mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah. So if someone came to me and they were doing that, I'd say, so far you've been doing that. Mm-hmm. And you're not what do you want to do next? Yeah. You know, I'm going to challenge them because if you continue to believe that that's what you do, then that's what you will do. Mm-hmm. If you start to shift that belief that you could change or, or interrupt that way of processing or um, masturbating the misery, then you can, right? It's just mm-hmm. a concept away, a thought away from that reality. Then it's that action 
It's remembering to action it. So with the brain, the brain doesn't understand time as much as we think it does. So there's a part of our brain that uh, needs to be told which time frame this is in. So I had been doing that. Now I'm doing this from now on. Mm-hmm. So if we can get very clear about where it is in the timeline of reality, then we can stop reliving that old pattern. Right. And then the brain thinks it's still in an active state. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's where the suggestion comes in. So if you say, I always am late to things. Which is a continuous You will cycle. continue to be late to things. Sure. If you say, I had been, I used to be late to things. It suggests that now you are changing that pattern to be on time or before time. Is there an argument that somebody can completely reinvent themselves then? Like yeah, entirely? absolutely. I like that word. Reinvent? Yeah. Yeah. So how... How does that, I mean, I, the, the thing that I can think of is like multiple personality disorder where somebody can like, you know, completely change who they are just like that. Yeah. To what extent are we able to change? Because there's that idea of like, we are fundamentally this person. That's who we are as at our core. Mm, I think we're starting to understand that's not so true. Right. If you think about your version of you at four, version of you at 10, version of you at 15, you know, you have actually changed quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And the programs and things that you uh, played then aren't relevant now. So, of course, you change it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're, we're constantly and have been constantly reinventing ourselves. Yeah. It's to the extent of how much do you want that reinvention to be? So let's say someone's been a smoker for 40 years. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean they can't be a non-smoker for the rest of their life, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a reinvention right there. Or they've had a fear or um, they've been in a certain line of, of uh, work and then they decide, no, I'm done doing that. I want to go to university and I want to improve myself and so on. That's a reinvent. So the, the habits of thinking, the habits of being suddenly collapse and new habits of thinking and being take over. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, so it sounds to me like what you're talking about here would be super useful when it comes to like prison, you know, like prison work. And yeah. is there a lot of that that goes on like hypnotherapy in prisons? Yeah. One of my old um, departed uh, fellow hypnotherapists, um, he was amazing. He used to do a lot of work with um, violent offenders and um, Bill Barclay, he, he was a good soul. Um, and he enjoyed that kind of work. Mm. I, I have thought about it myself, but that's not where I've been called most. But I do know that there are a few of my students that have gone through quite interested in working with prisoners and, and the, that rehabilitation side of things. Is it recognized by like ACC and stuff like that, like hypnotherapy? This is a very interesting question. If you go as an individual hypnotherapist and go to ACC, you can become ACC registered. Yes. If I go under the mantle of the NZAPH, the New Zealand Association of Professional Hypnotherapists, they don't recognize. Why is that? <laughs> oh, it's frustrating. I think it's still slow news coming through that, you uh-huh. know, that this could be a very effective tool for people, especially in trauma and um you know, with work-related stress and, and other things that have happened that have caused them not to be able to work or whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, that they've gone via ACC, yeah. Yeah, yeah, things of the mind, right, yeah. Yeah. are gradually coming to the forefront of things. And you, and you see it within workplaces, right, yeah. like, you know, wellness groups, EAP services and yeah. stuff like that, government-funded therapy yeah, and things like that. 
Interesting. Yeah, because I would, I would think that in order to get involved with the prison system, you'd have to be recognized by a government body as far as uh, offering rehabilitation services. I, th- I think we are at a turning point where it might not be through ACC and it might not be through EAP and other things, but we can... Uh, s- submit some things towards government for government funding in certain areas and the government I think is way more open Mm -hmm. to um, that process of getting as many people on board to help with the mental wellness because there's just not enough people on the ground to help the people that need it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally agree that's what I hear so much about from just therapists in general like when I say therapists I mean therapists as an overall branch there's not enough qualified personnel my yeah. last week last year, I had 32 clients. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. And some of them were 90 minutes. I was like, I was tired. Totally. Yeah. And um, last year, I was like six weeks booked up in advance, fully booked, mm-hmm. and no regal room. And I'm going, whoa. And that's hard because you want to service the people who are coming through, and it's actually trying to fit them in. Mm-hmm. And that's not how I like to work. So it has been ridiculous since the COVID um with the stress and anxiety and also job shifts and other things that have happened that's really got people to stop look and listen and and um do a bit of an audit on where they are and where they're going Mm. and unfortunately i think with these issues a lot of the times people can't wait yeah you know it's like i need to see somebody now and it's like Mm. well you know and even though even in private practice i live with some uh well budding psychologists and they were saying, like, just even in private practice, there's like a two-month wait time, you know, in certain cases, and the costs involved with it as well. Yeah. Are there government-funded subsidies for like your work? Like, if a medical professional puts somebody forward, you know, does like a some of the DHBs will um, look at that and have a certain pool of funding if a GP has referred on. Gotcha. But they usually have to go you know, from winds or other places. So there, there are little windows, but it's not a straight, this is what happens every time. Mm-hmm. And that's very frustrating to watch. I feel like that would change with the current government we have at the moment. Do you think that's the case? Have you seen big shifts in that as far as labor being one of their big issues being tackling mental health? It's hard for me to comment because I've seen a lot of promise, but yet I've also seen some lag stuff happening still. Mm -hmm. Where you think, really? Still like that? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just too busy to fight that fight, which is frustrating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I hope younger ones that are coming through with a bit more energy and a little bit more know-how about policy and other things can really shake it up. Make some pushes. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Now, I want to jump back into like where hypnotherapy kind of, where does hypnotherapy sit in someone's overall treatment for, let's say, high levels of anxiety? Is it the be-all, end-all, or is it a part of overall okay. rehabilitation, let's say? Maybe if I break down a typical session, it yeah, might let's, help let's do that. people to understand the toolkit that I use, and it's not just hypnosis, there's many other things that are involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing that we need to get the person to understand is a stress response. And when we're in that stress response, we're not logical. Our limbic system has been um, switched on into fight, flight, freeze. 
This is a problem because that means that we're not going to talk ourselves through it so well. We're going to have the disaster scenario channel on. And that means that our adrenals, our, um, our whole system hormonally is different to our normal parasympathetic nervous system setting. Mm-hmm. So our sympathetic nervous system, sympathetic to the threat, is now in charge of the house. Okay, This is a problem because it means that we're reactionary. So we're not going to think about it in a logical way, but we might react in a not so great way. So we could fight, flight, go, you know, get out of there, or freeze. Now, that's great on one level uh, for survival in some situations, but now modern day space, that doesn't always work, right? Mm -hmm. So you're getting a lot of people who don't want to go to work anymore because they've got anxiety or school Lots of people not wanting to turn up to school because they're just full full of anxiety. Uh, what my job is is to help them to understand the three keys into um, switching the sympathetic nervous system back into the parasympathetic nervous system setting. The first part is the breath. So if we're breathing badly, let's say we we have a fright, we go. <gasps> our belly gets sucked up Mm. into our diaphragmatic area. So the diaphragmatic muscle goes up and we're going to be shallow breathing. This is quite useful if it really needs to be oxygenating our system. We go, you know, and we're getting oxygen into our extremities so we can fight and fly. Uh, However, not so useful to calm the farm, right? So when we breathe diaphragmatically, using the belly to draw the breath, you know, down. So we should be breathing in deeply and feeling the belly relax. And as we breathe in fully and deeply into the bottom of our lungs, this is a key. That sends a very clear signal to the central nervous system, I am safe, all Mm. is well. This is the first step. The second part is microtension in the body. If our body's still holding on, for, for dear life and in microtension. So externally, I might not be able to see that you're tense, but internally you're holding tension somewhere. So if you can do a body scan and just go, okay, can I relax my jaw a little bit more? Can I relax my tongue a little bit more? Can mm. I relax my throat, my neck, my shoulders, my arms, hands, fingers? Can we go through the body and begin to relax it? This is really important because if we want to shift then the state of mind, the, the story, we must get those two other parts right. So when we sigh, so breathing in and we relax the diaphragmatic area. This is our first part of helping our physical body to relax too. So we can actually then use that sigh action to relax that microtension throughout the body. So we breathe in, sigh it out. So the exhalation's longer than the inhalation. Mm-hmm. And it's taking that sigh and utilizing it. So when we sigh, we are sending that message into our body, okay, it's, it's all right to relax now. Then our mind can shift to channel happy rather than channel doomsday. Mm-hmm. Because if we're still in microtension in our body and we're still breathing incorrectly, it's near impossible for the brain to shift into channel happy. Got you. Right. So this is where the hypnotic mindset and the idea of the power of suggestion, the power of telling the brain what you desire 
rather than what you don't want is a big part of the three keys of relaxing. Got you. So breath, relax body, shift mind. What's the new story you want? And then you tell yourself that and then you just go through the motions. And then I guess it sounds like it gets to a point as well where you can do that yourself. Oh, yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a big part of what I teach a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. Because they're accidentally building that tension, not realizing they have all the tools to undo it. They just haven't done it. A lot of people go, oh, I've done a couple of deep breaths and it doesn't work. I'm like, okay, show me. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they might do it three or four times and hope that that's going to work. It's not going to work. It takes a little longer than that. You've just dumped adrenals, um, adrenaline and cortisol and, you know, all the stress hormones. And it takes about five minutes to process that away yeah. and shift into your happy hormone system, right? Mm -hmm. So you run up um, Mount Cow Cow and it's going to take you at least five minutes of recovery mm -hmm. to stop sweating and, and, you know, get your heart rate regulated and all of those things. So why would you expect anything different? Because your brain feels like it's just run up. Mount, mm -hmm. Mount Cow Cow or somewhere, you know, really steep and like you've, you're running away from the lion. That's what your brain and body is starting to, you know, experience when anxiety and stress happens. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it so, so much of the stuff that you're talking, have you ever heard of Wim Hof? Yes. Yes. So much about what you're talking about. I used to be into really, I used to really be into Wim Hof, not enough to pay for the program, but <laughs> <laughs> enough to watch it on YouTube. I, um, but yeah, he was very big into uh, yeah, the whole breathing techniques, mm, huge, right. you know? And I think that's where I got my question about the whole separating pain from the body and the yeah. mind, because he could do the whole ice swimming underwater and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Do you practice a lot of the stuff in your own time as well? I think yes. And it's curious because when I'm doing the hypnotherapy with someone, I'm actually in hypnosis with them. Right. So often and frequently throughout my day, I have my, <laughs> my eyes closed and I'm right there walking. And, and I kind of think about myself like a dream walker. Mm -hmm. I'm walking through their dream with them. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like you get the best of both worlds, yeah, essentially. Yeah. You get paid to hypnotize yourself. <laughs> and it's, strange things happen in um, my sessions where I get shown something or um, like an intuition. Uh, and I'm in a new world that I haven't been to before. And it's really lovely. Mm -hmm. So there's another force that happens when you're working with people in the area of... of um, not just emotional wellness, but spiritual wellness. Mm. Yeah. You ever like, let's say somebody's really wanting to get into therapy or hypnotherapy, but they don't have, they're just unable to submit themselves to that calm state. Mm. Is there any place for drugs that can be used in that instance? So I'll go, you, you've used submit twice now, which mm -hmm. is a really interesting word. Um, if we think about the guide, it's the, the mastery of the guide to help the student understand. And a student might take a really quick time to learn to relax or take a little longer. Mm -hmm. But the guide understands that that's the path too that uh, it may take a whole year for someone to learn to relax and, and really good, get good at that. And that's okay. And some people it might take a moment and that's okay. 
and it's a journey of understanding and I don't know if drugs even psychedelic ones are necessarily the the best pathway for a lot of people because it can bring um psychosis uh, you know it, 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 there are problems because biochemically we're all different mm-hmm. we're not the same and the way that that drug affects your brain might be quite different to how it affected someone else's mm. so i don't know if drugs whether they're, they're you know psychedelics in the way of mushrooms or, or ayahuasca or whatever is always the answer for everyone mm-hmm. i think for some people it's been amazing um because they get to see worlds or understand that very thin veil that exists and always has done, but it's not necessarily the way. And it, a, a few of my clients have gone, whoa, that's like tripping mm-hmm. when I've done the hypnosis with them. And it's like they're, they're on drugs. Mm-hmm. So done well with the right dream walker, it's a different experience where people naturally just understand it because we go to sleep at night and we're dreaming. This is our natural way. So most people sleep. I, I don't think you'd survive very long if you didn't sleep. Mm. And sleep is really psychedelic. So there's a part of your brain, the pineal gland, um, that releases these incredible hallucinogenic um, chem- chemicals that help us to dream. Mm-hmm. that connect our worlds now in a way hypnotherapy is that bit between awake and asleep so you are in this field of potentials where time doesn't exist the way it normally does anything is possible um gravity doesn't even need to exist and we can be multi-dimensional i mean that that is the truth mm. so it's quite neat to to be able to journey someone through that i hope that answered your question yeah, I, I think so. I think um, it sounds like you were saying in some cases it's not the best solution and that maybe it's not even necessary in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I can understand what you're saying. Yeah. I think naturally we're powerful. Yeah. And we can enter into these amazing states of um, insight and understanding and euphoria all by ourselves. We don't always need to have that as a pill or a substance i agree but i think like some of the moves to like actually introduce some of these things are for people who can't get to that state in the first place according to whom can't they you see yeah well let's say somebody who's dealing with like seriously deep trauma right um in once again i'm not the expert in this field but from what i hear traditional ways of getting them to deal with that trauma don't work and whether or not according to whom and who who's dealing with it so with the hypnotherapy over 27 years plus i have been dealing with people with deep trauma and they have shifted that trauma they have Mm. changed it in such an amazing way that their lives got back on track have you and they're no longer having what we call an ab reaction or a subconscious reaction that they have no control over Mm. have Mm. you ever had an individual who you haven't been able to get through to absolutely and i think that's where but it may not be that i'm the best personal match for that person doesn't mean that there isn't another person who is Uh, yeah and i agree with you but i think some people would say that maybe 
that way of going about dealing with the trauma as a whole does not work. So where you say you might not be the right individual, somebody could say, well, maybe just the whole profession or way of going about it doesn't work. And therefore we use other methods such mm. as, especially with like, I think there's new studies like MDMA therapy and, and ketamine as yeah, well is, is yeah. coming, coming big into the forefront. Um, I'm not too familiar with the so whole if, science. So if we that. look at the ayahuasca for a moment mm -hmm. and we think about the traditional way of taking it, you have someone who's a master at journeying you through that if you need that. Um, it's not like you're left all by yourself to do it. You, you have a spiritual person who is going through that ceremony with you. There's chanting, there's other things, there, there's a process. Mm. Um, so in a way, they become the dream walker with you, mm -hmm. right? Um, when we think about using psychoactive drugs, and you've got the wrong dream worker, even in that could be trauma. Mm -hmm. There's danger in everything to mm -hmm. a degree. And there's also a way through it just depends on who's walking through that with you. It's, I don't think there's one magic pill or one magic way. Yeah, I think there are many agree. paths, but we need to be careful that we don't go, oh, this is the next big thing. Sure. Yeah. Take this pill and I'll sort everything out. Yeah. yeah I, I totally agree. I think there is a bit, there's a huge part in, in conversation and understanding and insight that shifts people. Mm -hmm. Insight's huge. Once someone gets something, they can never unget it. And it's just like, yeah, you know, penny drops. Mm -hmm. It's a game changer. And if you can get those people to understand that, let's say trauma, it's, it's a moment in time it's already been done. But on a cellular level, it feels like it hasn't been processed yet. So they're going to be triggered. It could be through smell or sight or um, touch or sound or whatever. Yeah, through their senses. So it could be a, a number of those senses altogether. So if they're triggered in that trauma and they don't have the toolkit to deal with that when they get triggered, then that's going to be the same old Groundhog Day, right? They're going to do the same old thing again and again and again and again. Um, a good therapist, whether they're a hypnotherapist, psychotherapist, counselor, or whatever, would need to address. So if that happens again, what would you like to do differently? I think this is a very powerful question across the board that needs to be asked. But quite often what happens is the therapist hop into this. So if it happens again, um, how do you think that might make you feel? You know, which is <laughs> like, really? Mm. You're just going to reinforce their trauma again. Mm -hmm. A mindful therapist would be someone who says, okay, that moment's gone already. So you go into that situation again. How do you want it to be? Mm -hmm. That's important. The power of the question. Uh, if you ask the wrong questions, you're going to continuously invite the supercomputer that is the brain and the body um, to come up with stupid answers right which just reinforces the idea that they had in the first place yeah yeah do you ever do you ever see other cases of hip have you ever seen cases of hypnosis being used for bad you know like and i guess it's just the power of suggestion right you know there's um like gaslighting 
is like a form, I guess, like, you know, telling somebody a lie and then convincing them that lie is true, mm-hmm. which is a form of, of, of hypnosis. Propaganda was yeah. one of those words that I learned sure. very, very early on at school. And I thought, ooh, um, there were a lot of people who have agendas mm-hmm. and they know and understand the power of stories and stories change cultures and change actions from those cultures. That's scary. So you get people like uh, Hitler, who had a storyline, and people bought into that story, and look what happened, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Donald Trump, <laughs> nice segue, who is very good <laughs> at hypnotizing the masses. Mm-hmm. Everything he says, and the way he says it, and the pace he says it, it's like the master hypnotist. Do you see that? Oh him? hell yeah. yeah! The way yeah. he's talking, the oh, tone, yeah. yeah, yeah, really, yeah interesting fascinating stuff and he repeats the same thing three times at least during his speeches do you think he's been trained or do you think he just subconsciously knows what he's or he knows what he's doing or i haven't met the man so it's hard again that subjectively hard to know what he's been and who he's been in contact with and what what has molded him into the person he is today but i definitely think he's a psychopath um, a narcissist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's, he's definitely both of those things. Lack of empathy. Oh yeah. 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 Total disconnect from what's really the, the big impact that he's making. It's all about him. And, and that's just scary to watch. Wow. I've never heard of him yeah. being called like hypnotic, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I see his speeches and I'm just like, mm. I thought of myself, I thought, who's been hypnotizing him? Maybe they've done a bloody good job. <laughs> All right, you conspiracy just, theorists, here we go. absolutely one channel thinking, and he's not looking globally at it at all. It's really interesting. It's very funnel thinking. Right, and you just yeah. see him doing, yeah. Yeah, that's a weird one. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about it like that, but that makes total sense. And then you've got a whole lot of people who are very open to suggestion. Sure, It's course. called the royal suggestion. So someone who's in a a place of power, like a doctor or whatever, a lot of people will just take their word for it. They won't question it. Yeah. You guess the other background that he has and people would see that as like, you know, indications of success and therefore we see it as a truth. Wild. Mm -hmm. What a fun uh, theory that Mm -hmm. he's quite hypnotic. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And so you see it most like the most common form of, hypnosis being used for bad is just in the form of propaganda yeah and you usually see it on like a a national level a state level look i think it's existed where power has existed for eons Um, right people have understood the power of a story and they've utilized it Mm -hmm. yeah you even see with branding right like let's tell a story with our company oh yeah and then it goes that way absolutely um final question that i have for you what do you think the biggest misconception people have about hypnotherapy is? That they're going to be out of control when they get hypnotized. And I think that the stage hypnosis, where you see people being asked to do certain things, reinforces that idea. If we look at what's going on is this person who's going up on stage believes that they're going to be out of control. Therefore that becomes their reality. Yeah, of course. Right. 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 So that's the ultimate in suggestion. Um, they believe that 
the hypnotist has got their mind under control, that will be a reality for them. So it's, it's ironic, really. Mm-hmm. But when we think about therapy and long-term change, um, that therapeutic relationship with the therapist, it's not about me controlling that person. It's about them getting back control over themselves. And all I am is teaching them tools to help them do that. To get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes so much sense because a lot of the times when we think of the therapy, we do think of a magician on stage being like, all right, now you're going to be a chicken. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Be a chicken. And that's the power of suggestion, power of belief. Mm-hmm. So you can get people um, believing many things and they'll do incredible things because they believe so, right? And that's walking hypnosis. That, that is everyday hypnosis you see playing out again and again all over the place. Right. It's just being mindful about what you're actually suggesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And knowing the implications and everything like that. Yeah. And I think f- to become a good hypnotherapist, you need to be a really good listener. Not just listen to the surface stuff, but all the other stuff that mm-hmm. wasn't said. The subtle things that are being said. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. Been a pleasure. Now, where can people find you? Ah, if right. you want to do any promo, <laughs> I, listen, I know that's six week waiting time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's creeping up again, I tell you now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll put a link to your website and stuff like that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But apart from that. Yeah, so I'm Wellington based. Um, so my clinic, I've got two clinics actually. I've, I'm at Petoni uh, at the Manuka Health Center on Monday afternoons. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Wellington Central in uh, Johnston Street um, from Tuesday to Friday. So, yeah, uh, I mean, the best way to get hold of me is literally look on my website, MeredithMcCarthy.com, and um, go to my online booking system. <laughs> Don't just <laughs> Don't email, email me, me please. <laughs> <laughs> because I just have so many people I'm dealing with, and if sure. you can imagine, I've, I've got you know seven people a day, and they're block booked, and it's just like you yeah, need a personal crazy. assistant. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, guys, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you. All right, I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for tuning in. Just a quick note, if you listen to this podcast and you want to watch the video that accompanies it, you can go on to Gavin Learns on YouTube and smash that like button and subscribe. Hopefully, I hypnotize you to do that. Okay, I'm in a funky mood tonight. Probably so. Anyway, enjoy. Once again, if you want to see me do stand-up comedy, my tour notes are in the link below.